Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast, so you turn all those retro notes into JIRA tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M I R O.com. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg, and I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. You know the saying, if you don't succeed at first, try, try again. Well, that's just what the XFL is trying to do. Will it work the second time around? I'll talk about it with the XFL CEO and commissioner, Mr. Oliver Luck. So like I said, listen up here, because you're really going to want to get a load of this. All right, so like I said, the XFL is trying to make a go of it the second time around, and the man in charge is the CEO and commissioner of the XFL, the aforementioned Oliver Luck, who joins me now. Commissioner Oliver Luck, thank you. Appreciate you being here. My pleasure. All right, so so let me ask you this right off the bat. Why is the XFL, Oliver, going to be a success in 2020 when it failed the first time around back in 2001? That's a very fair question, and I think uh, most folks that were involved with the XFL way back in 2001 would tell you that it was not a, a success. It, uh, it, it launched with, with great TV ratings, but the quality of the game uh, was, was nowhere near where it needed to be, and, and, it, and, and the, the ratings and the league, in, a, in effect, you know, fell off the, the, the cliff. So I think there are a number of things that are going to be substantially different. One, uh, we're going to avoid gimmicks. There were a lot of gimmicks, if you remember, Russ, back in, in XFL 2001, like the scramble, yes. right, which was you know replace the coin toss. Those, those are things that I don't think uh, Americans like to see because Americans, generally speaking, have a lot of respect for the game of football and for the traditions of the game. So no gimmicks. Uh, number two, and this is most important, I think, is we're going to have a much better quality of play. Uh, the preparation of, of XFL 2001 was, was very limited in terms of the time and the chronology. Kind of threw a bunch of guys together and tried to, to get them to play good football. Playing good, crisp, watchable football is not necessarily uh, the easy task, right? So uh, we're going to take a lot of time, including all of calendar year 19, as we begin to sign coaches, sign players, to really put a much better product on, on the field. 
Uh, and I think, you know, also we've learned from the past, right? Certainly Vince McMahon and, and those folks who, um, who you know, were involved with 2001, you know, they've learned from their mistakes. They want to do it the right way. Uh, they want to, uh, you know, use all the sort of modern technology and performance science and all these things that have really developed very well since the early part of this century to, to make sure that the game is better, the players are better, and, and we put on, at the end of the day, a better product. The Americans, as you know, love football. It's obviously the number one sport, pro football and then college football, but it has to be good football, and that's really our challenge is to make sure that we come out of the shoot playing really good football in the spring of 2020. Well, I, the, the one thing that struck me, and I, I'm, I'm not just saying this, it, it struck me, you know, I, I knew a bit about you. I didn't know as much as I know now because obviously since I knew you were going to be on, I did more homework, but the one thing I knew about you was that you were a bright guy and and you got a successful track record i mean you know fo- you know after football you got your your law degree uh at the university of texas I, I mean you had a fellowship to the european union in germany i, I mean all all this stuff and you were gm of the frankfurt galaxy in the world league of american football uh you were involved with the um Houston, I think Houston Sports Authority, you were president or general manager of the MLS uh, Houston Dynamo. They won a couple of championships. You've been involved with athletic director at your alma mater, West Virginia. I'm I'm giving you like, you know, this is a pretty impressive. If somebody needed a resume, you're it. You're involved in the uh, NCAA regulatory um, committee. So to me, it tells me. This guy doesn't need this, so for you to take this job tells me you really heart and soul believe that you can make it work. I, I do. I, I truly do. I, I think that uh, the NFL is incredible. It's an unbelievable league. It's a juggernaut. It's, I think, one could argue, the most successful sports league in the world. <laughs> I love college football, and, and you know, football is an integral part of American life. But there's really no reason why a spring league can't be successful. It, it, in my mind, needs a couple of things. One is capital, right? Money, and that's that's you know, very sort of simple statement. But I think it's absolutely true. And and uh, Vince McMahon has contributed, uh, and will contribute, you know, a, a, a lot of capital to this project. The second thing is. I think it needs discipline in terms of its decision making, right? Because you know nobody's ever going to compete with the National Football League or with college football. There, there are American institutions that have been around for 100 and 150 years, respectively, right? Both are celebrating major anniversaries this next calendar year. So imagine, Russ, if the USFL had uh, you know maintained its discipline and stuck around in the spring. That would be, I think, today a pretty valuable sports property, pretty valuable football property. There's a lot of people that would uh, enjoy watching and were back then watching uh, football in in the spring. Really, it's sort of a, if you think about it, a historical error that Rutgers and Princeton played the first ever college football yep. game, yep. you know, in the fall, right? What if they had played in March <laughs> or April or something, right? You know, football may be a, a spring and summer sport. So, uh, you know, there's nothing... There's nothing magical about the fall outside of the fact that it's, you know, when the NFL and college football kicks off, which is, you know, I think for many football fans, obviously the most important part of the year. Uh, But we think with with the capital commitment that Vince has made and with, you know, smart, disciplined decision-making, we believe there are enough really good players out there, just quite not good enough for the NFL, you know, a little bit too slow, a little bit too too light, a little bit too – 
whatever, right, just not able to, to make the league. We think he can put a good competitive league together and really appeal to those people who love football. Well, I, I, see, I thought when the league was going to um, go, go to the spring – well, you know what? Before I get to that, let, let me get to something else. And, and maybe this is just me being not the astute businessman that you are, but you have one owner. One owner, which is Vince McMahon, owns the league. How exactly does that work? You, you know what I'm saying? Because owners are competitive. So how does, from what I understand, is going to be a president and a head coach of each team. Is that Am I That's correct? correct. So, okay. so yeah, our our model is you know what people would call a vertically integrated model. So the league owns and operates all the the franchises. So what 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 we'll do at the league level is hire a head coach, and that head coach will be a, a little bit of a throwback. It'll be sort of like the head coach slash general manager of the okay. AFL back in the seventies. You know, think think Al Davis or something way back yep. then, right? Yep. When when a coach really did a lot of personnel work. So you know. Uh, and then we'll have a, a, a team president who's really going to be responsible for the business operations of that particular franchise. But ultimately, in terms of the sport, in terms of the football and the competitiveness, it's going to be on the head coach and his staff to determine. How large will his, his you know, th- listen, the NFL, you got like 20 assistants. I can't imagine you guys are going to. Uh, how no, many assi- it, yeah, our, our staffs will be the size of a typical college coaching right. staff. That's you know, what I you know, So you'll have, you'll have the coordinators and, and then the position coaches, obviously. But those folks will do a lot of the personnel work, right? So the league will identify probably up, up to five or 600 players that go into a league pool. And then out of that pool, you'll have the head coaches do their homework, right, uh, and and draft those guys. You know, put their team together uh, and be and be ready to play. So it's critical, I think, when you have like a vertically integrated league as we do. I think it's critical that it's completely transparent how a player gets to a certain team, right? It has to be obvious to everybody, and we're going to do it through you know a series of drafts, right? So. You know, if, if if Russ is the head coach of, you know, franchise A, uh, then you, you know, it'll be clear, you know, how you put your team together, how you assembled your roster. Um, and, and that's important because we, we you know, we certainly want, want to do this totally uh, transparently and make sure that everybody is aware of how player A got to team B or player C got to team X. That's That's very important in a vertically integrated league like ours. If you look back in history, it's not much different than the very early years of MLS. You know, coming off the the World Cup in the U.S. back in 94, MLS launched in 1996. And early on, they they had a very similar model, which I think is is a model you you almost need to launch a league. What what, what do you mean you almost need to launch a league? Well, to to start a league from scratch. To, To start a league, you know, from scratch, to build it up from... From nothing, it, it simplifies the decision making when you have a you know a vertically integrated league. You don't have eight own. We don't have eight owners to okay. worry about. No, no, I see what you mean. Yeah. All right, well, okay. So I understand there's going to be eight teams, um, and Correct. you have you have yet to announce what cities. Uh, uh, you feel free to announce any cities you want right now, <laughs> but uh, you know I'll take it from you when. When will there be an announcement if it's not going to be with me here today? Uh, it, it won't be with you here today. Sorry to break the news, but okay. uh, we'll, we'll announce uh, that uh, early early next month. All right. Well, let me ask you this, because, see, I thought 
I said, yeah, they're being smart. They're doing, you know, spring football. So so I get that. And, and yeah, I know how rabid fans are uh, in this country for football. So you're not going to – your competition is not going to be the NFL, but you're starting in, in um, uh, 2020 – and you have a competition from, uh, what is it, the uh, American Alliance of Football, which is starting in, in 2019. And they're also going in this spring. So that I find interesting on both XFL and AAF, whatever the hell uh, they're called, that that that's a competition, you know, built in right away out of the gate. Is it not, uh, Oliver? Well, um, you know, I, I I I won't comment on on the other league. That you know, they've got a business plan and they're doing what 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 they're doing. Um, you know, we've got a business plan. We think we've got a very good plan, and again, the capital commitment to to make it work over the long haul because it's it's hard to launch a league, right? You know, you you, you we may not know if this is a success until you know uh, after year two or year three. The good news, though, that I'll take out of all of that, really, two things. One, competition is good. Right, it makes everybody sharper. You know, iron iron sharpens iron, or steel sharpens steel. All those things that, that coaches like to say. Uh, but the second thing is this: How about you know the amount of capital that's being dedicated to football? I, I think it's awesome. As somebody who loves the game and respects the game, I think it's great that you know you've got the NFL doing so well. You've got you know major college football, all of college football. You know, from D1 all the way down to D3. You know, doing very well, and you got two spring startup leagues. And in fact, there were many others that were talking about starting spring leagues. So I think that's a good indication that you know, despite the challenges that football has, and it has certainly some challenges, head trauma, you know, being one. But despite all those challenges, there are smart, you know, affluent people who are willing to make uh, serious financial commitments for football. Now, I notice also, um, and again, you're not telling me, and you know, I can appreciate that. Uh, when will do you plan on announcing the cities? The cities will be announced early next month. Oh, okay, early next month. Uh, I'm I'm really anxious to hear that because I I noticed um, in your co- competition, and this believe me, this podcast is about the XFL, not the AAF. But uh, in in contrast, uh, they have stayed away from the Northeast. Okay. And you know, they're in a few, uh, NFL markets, but not a lot. There's places like Birmingham and Salt Lake and well, San Antonio, San Diego. Uh, are you planning to go into, you know, can you, uh, divulge any of that or are you kind of staying away from, you know, major NFL markets? Well, I'll, I'll just say that, uh, we will be choosing markets that, Give us the best chance for success. I'll, I'll let okay. you uh, interpret those okay. tea leaves. <laughs> no, 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 that, that, that makes sense because I, I think, listen, there are certain markets, you know, spring football, you know, when you were saying before, hey, if the first game ever was played in, you know, uh, the spring, maybe we'd pl- be playing spring football. Uh, it w- the NFL would be spring football. But then again, th- there'd be competition with Major League Baseball and, and other things. So, you, you know, to me, where where that is right now works. But I think you going where you going. And by the way, how long would your league, how long would your season be? So our, our league will play 10 regular season games. And then we'll have week 11, which will be two semifinal games. And week 12 will be the championship game. So it's a, it's a relatively short you know, three-month season when you consider 12, 12 weeks. We'll have 
um, you know, probably a, a six or seven week training camp, uh, you know, to prepare. But but we're we're planning, uh, even though we don't start until 2020, we're planning to begin to hire players and coaches uh, in this next calendar year, 2019. So we want guys who are really committed to our league and are able to, you know, to, to begin you know, so that we're able to begin to build, you know, the, the, a quality franchise in terms of the football uh, in, in the calendar year 19. I, I find this quite fascinating because it sounds, you know, everybody's got their own business plan. And, and you know, I, again, I don't expect you to comment on the AAF, but your business plans sound, you know, there, there's a lot of familiarity there. I mean, there there's, uh, you know, 10 game seasons, you know, the playoffs and, and it all sounds, uh, it all, and you're starting around the same time. So it all sounds interesting. I'll tell you what, it sounds like it makes, listen, I grew up with the old AFL NFL. So this sound, this sounds like on a smaller level, you know, like, Hey, competition is always good. I don't care where it comes from. So, so in in that respect for the fan, it makes it better. I, I understand uh, Oliver, that players can go to the NFL from the XFL. Uh, you want to explain that exactly how that would work if, if a, you know, guys playing, if sure. Russ is playing for the XFL and uh, the New York Giants and the New York Jets want me, how do I leave or how do I take that job? Yeah, so so our philosophy is that um, a, a player who does well in the XFL should have the opportunity, you know, to try uh, to make an NFL roster, right? The NFL is, you know, is, has been, and will remain the gold standard, you know, for what, what players aspire to. Uh, so I, I, I experienced this for 10 years working for the World League of American Football, which became NFL Europe. You know, we had guys like Kurt Warner or Brad Johnson, John Kitna, some pretty good quarterbacks, yeah. Paul Justin, all of whom went on, you know, and, and played in the league. And some like Kurt Warner ended up in the Hall of Fame. But, you know, you, you always want to have that opportunity for a player uh, to make an NFL roster. It's hard, right? You know, it, it's difficult to make an NFL roster. It's difficult to make the 53-man, you know, active roster. Uh, but but we think that it, it it's sensible and, and good policy uh, after our season is completed, right? You don't want to be pulling guys off of a roster halfway through uh, because you need the continuity, you know, to have good competition. But after our season is finished, we think it absolutely makes sense, you know, to allow a player to to, um, to if he has a legitimate opportunity with a National Football League franchise. Now you're going to run a draft, okay? Now I'm. I'm you, I'm just thinking out loud here. The NFL draft is in April. Uh, your season starts in February. Correct. Um, when would you guys have a draft simply because, you know, I mean, it, is, are you going to have a draft during the college uh, year or like the minute it – Well, there, there, there's going to be a, like a series of drafts, I think is the best way to put it, because if you look at – you know, if you look at the calendar of football, let's say through a calendar year, you know, we believe there's different points in that calendar year when players will become available, right? Um, so what, what I mean by that is you'll have, you know, the big cut down, right, in September 1st. Uh, this past September 1st, there was something like 800 and almost 900 players cut by sure. the 32 NFL rosters. Now, some of those guys you know, we'll cycle back in as players get hurt, right? 
uh, you know, during the regular season. But, you know, a, a good number of those, three, four, maybe 500, will not, you know, cycle back through. So that's an opportunity for a draft. Before guys go to training camp, right, uh, there's, a, you know, there's a whole bunch of guys, hundreds of guys, even thousands of guys who haven't been invited to an NFL training camp. The undrafted who, free agents, as we would say, right? Yeah, or unsigned free unsigned agents. Unsigned free right? agents, right. Unsigned free agents, guys who have not signed a, a, a contract, and they – you know, that, so that that may be a draft as well. That's obviously earlier in in the summer, um, and then there are guys that get cut during the course of of the spring. You know, there are you know players that are signed, let's say in March or April or May, and they get they get you know cut before training camp even starts. So they get cut right after a, a rookie OTA, you know, organized team activity right. or a veteran OTA. So um, we think it makes sense as we populate our rosters and populate our our draft pool. Uh, you know, to have sort of a series of of events where where players are drafted and and then distributed, uh, so it, there won't be one big draft, uh, but a series of of smaller drafts, and they may be you know to a certain degree sp- position specific. Uh, those are all details we have to work out, but we think it makes sense to sort of do a series of drafts during the course of 2019, so that when we do start camp, uh, you know, in in November or early December of of uh, 2019, ready getting ready for the 2020 launch that uh, you know we've got the best possible players we can we can have you know in our in our draft pool uh, let me ask you this I, I i just thought of this um obviously this is an opportunity for a lot of young men there are also as you well know because you've been heavily involved with the ncaa in you know some some not just football all sports some guys go to school uh not for the purpose of getting an education, they go to school for the purpose of trying to get a professional career in their respective sports. Would you, or you know, how would the league handle? I mean, I, I could see it happening. You, you know, uh, you know, some kid even coming out of high school or a freshman. I don't need this. You know, I want to you know make some money. Uh, would you accept them, or are there going to be certain rules? You have to be a certain age. How would that work, Oliver? So that's, that's a re- really good question. So basically, I think people understand the the NFL restriction on eligibility, which is simply, you know, um, the the three year rule, right? So you're not eligible for the NFL draft unless you've been out of high school for three years. You don't have to go to college, right? But you know, the vast vast majority of guys go to college because college football has been, you know, a tremendous sort of training ground, if you will, for you know professional football. Um, no other league is subject to the NFL's collective bargaining agreement. That's the agreement between the union and the league, right? Union and management, um, and that's the agreement that you know determines the eligibility. So, you know, the NBA historically has had a, a one-year, you know, from high school clause. The NFL has had three years from removed from high school in order to have eligibility. So, we're not subject to that. Um, we, I, I doubt, Russ, that we would draft a or encourage a high school kid to play professional football with grown men. Right. You know, I, I mean, I guess you could say every once in a generation there's a Herschel Walker or a Adrian Peterson. I remember when he came out of high school in, in Palestine, Texas, you know, and he looked like he could play right. in the league, right? But, you know, it, it's rare, you know, to have an 18-year-old who's sure. capable of, of competing in football. Basketball, I think, or baseball, it's a little bit of a different story, but certainly football being the physical game that it is. Um, but, you know, that's an option, theoretically, that this league would have, and that includes not just a kid right out of high school. It includes, uh, you know, a, a, a college player who's played one year right. 
of college. Maybe he gets kicked out because of academics, or, or maybe it's two years and he's kicked out for some other reason. So we, we've, you know, we, we, we'd like to kind of hold that option open uh, just to see what, what may happen. Um, but it's, it, it certainly won't be a focus on, uh, of, of, our, you know, of our personnel development, if you will. We think uh, the vast, vast, vast majority of players will be folks who you know, have spent time in an NFL training camp, uh, may have played for a year or two up in the CFL, who knows. Uh, but you know, but uh, that's going to be the focus of our, you know, of our uh, talent development, as opposed to somebody coming out of high school or just with one or two years of college experience. Yeah, you you, you know, you, you you mentioned the CFL. I started my career up in Canada, uh, not with this New York accent. Uh, the, believe me, I'm not, <laughs> not I'm not from Manitoba, if you know what I'm saying here. Yeah. But 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 really, um, the, you know, that's a league. That's that. You know, that to me, that was always a very good league. I, I don't know that the uh, XFL is going to be that, but that was always a very good league, and you had a lot of guys come down and still coming down to play. So I, I can see that happening. Let, let me ask you this, the big question. How much can I make? I, okay, I'm a player, Oliver Luck. How much money can I make in this league? What's my salary structure? We're going to have a, a, a tiered salary structure. And uh, guys that uh, that we put in that top tier, and this will be an, it's an easy way for coaches to sort of manage their salary cap, basically. But folks in that top tier will be making you know upwards uh, annually upwards of two hundred and fifty or three hundred thousand uh, dollars. In the in the second tier, there'll be a limited number of of players in that first tier, and, and in the second tier, a limited number of players. But they'll be they'll be in that hundred and fifty hundred and seventy five thousand dollar a year range. And then in our two lower tiers, our tier three and our tier four, uh, those will be guys who will be, uh, you know, below a hundred thousand, above above fifty and below a hundred thousand uh, dollars. You know, because one of the things that we're going to do, and this was something that really was very successful uh, in two thousand and one with the XFL, is we're going to provide victory bonuses. Right. You know, one of the one of the uh, really good things that the XFL did, and, and this resonated with fans even you know 17 years later, uh, as we did our, our research, was uh, this idea that you win a game, you get paid more as a player and a coach, uh, and uh, you know guys guys work pretty hard for for their paycheck when they know they can earn some additional money sure. if they you know if they win a game. So that's that's one of the things that we're planning on doing. But our our players will be tiered. Uh, in terms of their 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 salary ranges. Well, uh, uh, listen, you know, somebody listening to this might say, well, two hundred and fifty grand. You know, maybe it's not that much in in the world of professional football. But hey, if you're not making it in the NFL, you're not on an NFL roster. Going out getting a job for two hundred and fifty thousand, you know, is pretty good. And it kind of tells me, Oliver, that uh, you know, if I'm a guy who's Maybe not making the big NFL roster, two hundred and fifty large is a lot larger than what I can make on a practice squad. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think most folks spend time looking at practice. I'm sorry, practice squad salary. Right? No, I know, because most of those guys you know don't see the field on Sunday. Uh, but you know, those guys if, through the course of a year are only earning one hundred and twenty, hundred thirty thousand right. dollars. Yeah. And and there's a limit, I think, as you know, Russ, there's a limit to the number of years you can stay in a practice squad. So, you know, what what often happens is a kid gets drafted or signs as an undrafted free agent, right? And he's placed on a practice squad. And let's say you're a quarterback and you're only on that practice squad for two or three years. And then, then there's a decision. Am I good enough to make the 53-man roster? 
most teams only carry two quarterbacks, and quarterbacks typically don't retire, you know, unless they're sort of forced to because of injury or age or whatever. Look at you know, look at Brady and Rivers and all these guys that are playing, you know, uh, into the, you know, for 20 years plus. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of really solid all-American college quarterbacks who who are in that spot. They're on a practice squad roster, but you know, they're just not quite good enough to make a 53-man roster. And those are the guys that we think uh, you know would would certainly have an interest in playing in our league. Yes, they'll take a little bit of a salary cut maybe, you know, from a 53-man roster, uh, you know, salary, but not from a, a practice squad. No. Roster. They'll end up they'll end up in fact making more money in our league uh, if they if they only were on the practice remained in the practice squad. And again, there's there's a limited number of years you can stay in that practice squad. Yeah, but, the uh, other thing, the other thing is this. And I I can say this as a former backup quarterback who wasn't on a practice squad roster but backed up Warren Moon for most of my career. If you're a backup quarterback in the National Football League, you don't get any better. A hundred percent. Couldn't agree you with you play. more. Right. You don't, you don't play. You're, you're running the scout team offense during the, you know, the week, and you might get a couple of preseason series or whatever, but basically you know, your skill set begins to erode or decline because you're not facing live bullets you know, every Sunday. And that's something else that I think is important, certainly for quarterbacks, to understand, hey, I've got to go play. I, I witnessed Kurt Warner coming over to Europe to play 10 games in the NFL Europe season that year. I forget what it was, some, somewhere in the 90s, 93, 94, whatever it was. Kurt comes over, plays 10 games. He showed enough in those 10 games to get an NFL tryout with, the, of course, the Rams. And the rest is history. So, you know, that's the importance of playing in games when, you know, as they say, the bullets are flying, right? It's live, 100, you know, 100%. Um, and that's, that's important because if you don't see that on a weekly basis, you, your skill set as a quarterback and, and other positions as well really begins to decline a little bit. You, you know, just what you're talking about, I can relate to that in my business because I get kids, I'm doing this for 35 years, 36 years. I get kids, you know, young people asking me all the time, oh, Mr. Salzberg, you know, I, I want to get into the business or I'm in this small market, but I, or I want to start here. Or I want to, you know, I want to start, you know, in New York or Boston or whatever. And, and I tell them, just go beyond the air. I, I mean, the first, the very first thing I ever did, <laughs> I was working up in Toronto, and I did wheelchair basketball for a local <laughs> no for for local community television. It's awesome. A- and to me, it was the NBA finals. For I did sure. high school football. It was a Super Bowl. And, and I, I tell people, as long as you're doing it, you're refining your craft, and that's the same damn thing. Darn thing for for football. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's a wonderful thing. Also, I mean, listen, if you're making $250,000 a year or $150,000 a year, one thing I know that's going to happen, and, and you know it, Oliver, as well, NFL people are going to be watching. And, and scouts, they'll go to Timbuktu in the woods someplace where bears live to find a good talented football player. So you get a chance to make some money. You're not on a practice squad. And you know what? If I'm good enough, they're going to see me and I'll be able to take my money and then get a tryout with another league. I I think that's a win-win situation for a player. Well, you know, listen, at the end of the day, right, uh, you know, football is extraordinarily popular. It's, it's, It's the number one sport in this country. And what our league is doing, and quite honestly any other league, we're offering opportunities. <laughs> we're offering jobs, right, for young men. We're offering jobs for coaches. We're offering jobs for administrators and marketing people and all of that, right? 
and that's you know that's that's the free enterprise system that's the american economy at at work and the economy you know is pretty strong right now so uh, that that's another factor that i think is is very important we also found you know as we were doing our research uh, you know to to in, in terms of Vince really making the decision to to you know pull the trigger and launch the the league is you know what we're finding is that you know the football season it's not short but it's a compact season right you know it kicks off labor day right and effectively by you know by january it's it's over right there's only one game of note in february and that's the super bowl uh and you know people have a little bit of a void uh, in their sort of Sunday or Saturday afternoons after football season is over. Not everybody, you know, immediately transfers their passion or their allegiance to basketball or baseball or any of the other sports that, you know, that that sort of uh, are, are playing in, in the spring, you know, and then into the early summer. So, you know, we think we can build a league off of those, you know, almost 40 million passionate, diehard very intense football fans. We think that they'll watch good football. Has to be good. That's the that's the issue, and that's really the focus that we have in terms of as we you know preparing for the 2020 launches to make sure we have the best football possible coming out of the shoot. Uh, what what's the term? Uh, you know, I've looked on the website, and you know, I see the term used frequently from XFL people: reimagining. What does yep. reimagining the game mean? So reimagining the game basically means, you know, sort of thinking critically about those issues, those things about the game, those aspects of the game that people don't like, (laughs) right? You watch a lot of football. I watch a lot of football. I I go to a lot of games. I watch, you know, both pro and college, watch obviously games on, on TV, there are certain things that everybody sort of complains about, right? One of those things is the length of the game, right? These games are long. You kind of stay up fairly late, you know, to to watch the end of Sunday night football. It's terrible. I last, couldn't agree right? with you yeah, more. They, yep. You know, there's lots of breaks in the games that that, and that's not something that just fans complain about. You talk to coaches and/or players; they don't like all those breaks. Nope. They want to get in a rhythm, like you know, just like basketball players love to get in a rhythm. They play better when you're in a rhythm. So, uh, we've looked at at all those issues that people don't like, right? And we've tried to figure out, is there a way to improve that, right? Uh, You're not going to completely eliminate all the breaks in football, you know, quarter breaks, commercial breaks, you name it, but maybe you can minimize those. Maybe you can, you know, only have 30-second timeouts, kind of like the equivalent of an NBA 30-second timeout where you literally don't have time to go to a commercial, right? Uh, So there, there are some... You know, there, there are a number of those issues that exist in the game that uh, people have, you know, complained about. They complain about the time it takes uh, often for, you know, a replay uh, to be viewed. You know, I was watching a college game this past uh, Saturday, and it seemed like it took literally about five minutes for the crew to figure out what the, you know, what the, the proper call was. And that's that's not good. That That sort of... You know, people tune out, right? They get, they get up and walk around and, you know, go do something else because... You know, because of the length of those delays. So what we've tried to do is pull a bunch of coaches, former coaches, current coaches, former players, both college and pro, and 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 f- folks in the tech world as well, and take sort of a deep dive into figuring out is there a better way uh, to do things? Well, is there a better way to structure the game? It's almost it's almost Russ going back to 
you know, sort of the 70s or even the early 80s when I played in the NFL when a game had to get done in three hours. Remember the sure. Heidi game? You remember the Heidi oh, game. Listen, listen to me. That was my team. I'm, I'm still throwing <laughs> up from that game. All of a sudden, Heidi comes on. I said, get, right. the, get so, this yeah, little that, dope that off the era, air. Yeah. That was an era when, you know, the network said a game's got to get over in three. And, and, and if you go back and look at the stats of, of that era, I mean, you know, teams were running 75, 80 plays. They were throwing the ball, right? You know, that I think the Heidi game was was Namath and the Jets against the Raiders. And that's and right. Monica. Yep. I think the Mad Bomber. The Mad Bomber. Them. Oh, right. Yeah. So yeah. you know those guys were were putting up points. So you know part of it is trying to figure out can we can we you know compact the game uh, back into that you know two sure. hour fifty minute two hour forty five minute and still have all the excitement all the fast paced all all the plays that that people you know so much enjoy. I, so. That's our effort to reimagine. Yeah, I, I think that would be a real winner for you if, if you guys could do that because I, I don't think, you know, after getting through the NFL season, I don't think people would w- want to sit through all those, you know, those long games and, and you know, taking forever. The other question is, and listen, you guys are concerned about uh, injury. You mentioned it before and safety just as the NFL but to me, the NFL has a problem with some of its rules, Guy, you know, using the crown, hit, hitting, and, and some of the calls have, have been terribly inconsistent. Anybody who's watched football knows that. Is that something that you guys want to also make sure you take a look at so your officials get it right and, and your players understand exactly? If the player doesn't understand, you know, as Dan Reeves used to like to say, something's bad wrong here. And to me, if the, <laughs> if, if the players don't understand, something's bad wrong there. No, I mean, listen. A, a player has to know, you know, what he can and cannot do, right? And that and that's that's true of college as as well. So that that's incumbent upon us. You know, the flip side of that is 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 the following, though. You know, we'll, we'll have players obviously coming out of college. We'll have guys who spend time in the NFL. Our rules can't be too different, uh, you know, because it'll it'll be confusing for guys. It's just like. You know, you see this every preseason. You have a, a defensive back in, in in the NFL who's a rookie, right? And you know, he he thinks that uh, the the guy who catches the pass in front of him and goes down is is down on you know by 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 you know his knee touching the, but he's not. It's down in contact with the NFL. So you know, for every rule change, a kid has to you know sort of you know register that in his brain. And and then obviously implement that, execute that, you know, during the game with split second decisions. So we have to be careful as well that we don't vary, you know, too far from what the you know the college and the NFL rules are, because we want obviously kids to, you know, to play with that sort of, you know, spirit where you're not you don't have to think all the time, right? You get again you get into that rhythm and you and you move and and flow and and the games are fun to watch. Well, you, you certainly seem sound as though you got all your ducks in a row, your eyes are dotted and your T's are crossed. Um, this is about making money for all parties concerned. Vince McMahon's putting a lot of, uh, as they say in the hood here in New York, a lot of schadol. That's a lot of money that, that he's putting up, you know, $500 million. Uh, TV, what's your connection with TV or do you have a connection yet with TV? Well, uh, we will have uh, very good connections with with broadcast television. Uh, we're in discussions with a number of the legacy carriers, carriers, you know, to broadcast games. And this is something where Vince's relationship, WWE's relationship right. with the you know the broadcasters, has been significant. 
Uh, you know, um, I mean, WWE is quite honestly a sort of a, a powerhouse when it comes to you know television content, and you know they work with with NBC, with Fox, with USA Network. You know, they've got their own you know pay per view platform. Uh, so that you know they're 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 arguably you know along with the, you know the traditional professional sports leagues, they're they're one of the powerhouses in that sense. So you know our our relationships have have been made possible, if you will. You know, by by WWE in terms of broadcast. So I think when when we announce, and that's probably going to be, uh, you know, before the end of this calendar year, when we announce our broadcast relations, I think people will be very, very pleasantly surprised at the sort of power of our uh, linear broadcast partners. Good. I I also find it ironic that you know, uh, the first time around, uh, Vince McMahon's you know business partner, well, he was involved with you know NBC, and that was Dick Ebersole, and it's ironic that Ebersole's son. Uh, Charlie is, I guess you could say, the Vince McMahon of the uh, American Alliance of Football because he's the one behind that. It's kind of funny how things work around. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a small world ultimately. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Uh, let me ask you this, uh, Oliver. You know, we haven't gotten to them yet. Your coaches, uh, you know, do you have them in line yet? And how's this? I mean, you know, there are tier scales for. Players, salary scales, uh, you know, tier one, top tier, tier two, tier three. How about for coaches or do all head coaches and GMs make the same? Uh, will, will they be making the same amount of money? Yeah, I think the head coaches will all be on, on very similar salaries. Um, we have we've got a sort of a working list of potential coaches. Uh, that that we might be interested in, we're obviously you know going to going to take a little bit of time, certainly, and wait until this football season complete you know is over because you'll see you know Black Monday or Black Sunday yeah, or sure, is, sure. you know you see the you know the guys that that are released. Um, one of the things that's very important to us is we really want coaches who have experience running uh, sort of those hurry up offenses, right? Uh, because I think that's that's going to be one of the attributes of our game right to get 80 85 plays in per per team you know in a two hour and 45 minutes and that that involves coaches i think requires coaches who have experience in doing that how you teach that you know how you practice that uh how you make sure that you've got you know crisp uh play if if, for example there's a 25 second clock which is one of the things that we're we're thinking about so uh you know we we uh we're going to be looking for for younger very innovative folks not necessarily you know the older you know guys who've been retired for a number of years we we're not ruling anybody out right uh, but uh, i think we're we're really i'm looking forward to the to the sort of responsibility of identifying some of these uh, coaches and getting them involved and, and it's crucial you know because we we think uh, at our league certainly you know in the first couple three years that quality coaches will be you know absolutely critical for you know successful gameplay what kind of salaries can a coach you think a coach can make in in uh, the XFL yeah our our salaries will be annually around $500,000 oh, for coaches okay i i got to tell you you know one thing i've learned about coaches Coaches coach. They, yep. they co- Coaches, you know, Bill Parcells once told me about Lawrence Taylor and Phil Simms, and, and at first I didn't understand what he was talking about, but then, then you get to know the players, and then I fully understood. He, he used to say they'd compete in a parking lot, and, right. and coaches do the same thing. You know, all said and done, you put the money aside, they would compete in a parking lot. And I think a lot of coaches, I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm talking top of mind now, for example, it, you know, 
Ben McAdoo, you know, lost his job, and it was ugly last year with the Giants. But to me, I mean, listen, he, he's getting paid this year. But to me, there's a guy who's a good, I think, a good football coach. Like a lot of guys are, they get into a bad situ- situation, and you know, my, my old Russ, my old coach Bum Phillips told me, right? Yep. You know, two types of coaches: those that have been fired, those that will be. Yeah. Fired. I mean, Bill Belichick, right, got fired. Nick Saban. Sure. I was uh, I was a freshman and sophomore at West Virginia University. Nick Saban was our defensive backs coach, and you know, Nick grew up uh, just outside of Morgantown, West Virginia. He was our defensive backs coach. That whole staff got fired in, in Nick's, I think, maybe fourth year there or, or third year. I can't remember, right? So even the best coaches sure. end up getting fired. And, uh, you know, having having that on your resume, in a sense, is is a positive thing because I, I believe that people learn more from their failures than they do from their successes, right? You, Amen. If you're, if you're a little bit self-reflective, you know, you'll learn from things that you did wrong and, you know, you won't do them again. No. <laughs> so I, I, think, I think you're right. Coaches love to coach, and I think there's – there's so many good folks with, you know, college, with professional experience, coaches that, you know, have been up in the CFL, you know, that may want to come back to the U.S., you know, who've won championships up sure. there. So uh, I think, you know, look at Jay Gruden. Jay Gruden was a, an arena league coach. And, uh, you know, he's uh, despite yesterday's performance against the Falcons, he's right. doing a pretty good job, you know, with the Redskins. So I think you can find coaches in all different places, in all different leagues, quite honestly. And I'm I'm really excited about the opportunity to – to uh, beginning in the first quarter of next year to begin to dig in and, and hire these guys. Yeah, and, and I think those guys, like, I, I, you know, I just, you know, there are guys that I know, like like a Ben McAdoo or a Steve Spagnola, who was a head coach in the NFL and also a defensive coordinator, guys who were out here, and, you know, I'm sure they're chomping at the bit for another opportunity. And, hey, maybe if I can get this opportunity here. Believe me, I'm not campaigning for them. I'm, I'm just using them as examples of the type of guys. I, I don't think you're good. That's one thing. I don't. I don't think there's going to be any shortage. Quite frankly, you talk about players. I don't think there's going to be any shortage of coaches who want to uh, get involved in 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 your league, the XFL. Oh yeah. No, I, as you can imagine, we've already fielded you know dozens <laughs> of overtures from, yeah. from coaches. So I, I think you're right on that. Well, Oliver Luck, I, I got to tell you, um, this has been very interesting. Um, I can't let you go before I ask you one question, though, or maybe we'll make it two questions. You're not only Oliver Luck, the CEO and commissioner of the XFL, you're also Oliver Luck, the father of one hell of a football player and Andrew Luck, the quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. And, you know, he, he listen, young man missed an entire year. And as a dad, you got to be concerned about his health. And he's come back. I mean, it's thus far, I think he's thrown 23 touchdowns. Uh, how is he doing? And, you know, did you have, a, as a dad, did you have any doubts that he was going to be okay and able to play. Well, um, he 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 feels great, and he's throwing the ball without pain, which you know is hugely important if you're a thrower, right? A quarterback, a pitcher, whatever. Uh, and you know he had labor surgery. Um, you know, so it, it, that takes a long time. That's a tricky, yep. tricky thing, right? If you're a, a thrower, and you know, so all, my wife and I, you know, all of you know our, our three other kids, I think. Obviously, you know, those that are close to Andrew, you know, we were all somewhat concerned because you, you, you never know, right? You never sure. know if, if the, you know, the labrum's going to heal appropriately. He went to arguably one of the best doc, docs around, a guy um, out in, at Stanford, Saf, Dr. Saffron, who, you know, did a marvelous job. But um, I think we all were somewhat worried. I'll, I'll give his team around him, his, you know, 
massage therapists and rehab people and, you know, all the quarterback coaches, Tom House that he worked with, you know, to, to rehab his shoulder. Uh, and, you know, he got to a point where, you know, he's really throwing the ball well and, and throwing it without pain. So uh, we're, we're very happy. He, he wasn't a happy camper for the year that he missed, right? Because like everybody, he's in the NFL, he's competitive. You know, he yeah. wanted to go out and play. Uh, so we're, we're just happy he's out there playing and uh, the Colts are running a little bit of a winning streak. So. Yeah. That's good as well. Well, I, I know you're not going to take any shots, but I'll say let's get him some offensive linemen because here in New York we can see what the lack of offensive linemen are doing to a veteran quarterback by the name of Eli Manning. But that's a story for another time. Listen, Oliver, I, I would love to, you know, down the road after some of these, you know, you make more of your announcement and the cities, I'd like to have another visit with you because this has been, you know, great. I think the fans will really enjoy it. I, I think you've really helped uh, – Tell people what the XFL is all about. So uh, let's. Uh, I- I'm going to k- keep in touch, and hopefully Absolutely. we can chat again. But this would love, uh, would love, would love to do it. This is thanks, b- Russ. Thank you very much, uh, Oliver Luck, CEO and Commissioner of the XFL. And that, my friends, is a wrap on today. I want to thank all of you for getting a load of this. Now I'd like to get a load of you. You can reach me on Twitter at uh, Russ Salzberg or on Facebook. Let me know what you think of my conversation with Oliver Luck. And you also can check out my blogs on uh, my website at russsalzberg.com. My thanks here to the lady handling the board, Lexi Pevararo. Nice Yiddish name. There she is. She's smiling. And uh, to Tim Einickel of the OG Podcast Network. Timmy uh, puts does a great job each week putting this podcast together. My thanks to 77WABC Program Director Craig Schwab, to Assistant 77WABC Program Director Matt Dahl. And last but certainly not least, my thanks to all the used people out there, because without used people, I'd have nobody here to be talking to on my Get a Load of This podcast. So until next time, it's Russ Aldberg saying bye-bye, so long, and farewell. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with privacy mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course. Present my thoughts the way I want. Right again! Now, you're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh, there it is. Drawing board or... Miro. Our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's won. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro Brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.